Hello there and welcome to the Get French Football News Preview Show with me, Lewis McParlin. In tonight's pod, we have a lot to cover with Paris Saint-Germain's Champions League semi-final against Manchester City right at the top of the list. They went into this game 2-1 down following a defeat in the first leg at the Parc de Prince, but unfortunately they couldn't pull back the deficit here in Manchester, conceding two goals scored by former Lav player Riyad Mahrez. This sent City to Istanbul and PSG back on the plane to Charles de Gaulle. The first part of the show will be dominated by this match, but if we have time towards the end, we also have some matches to preview for this weekend coming, including Lille versus Lyon and Nîmes versus Metz. Alongside me today, I have Eric Devin, Thomas Wiseman and resident Parisian Philip Barziel. And Phil, usually when you're on the pod for PSG stuff, it's usually good news. You know, you've had it quite sweet the last couple of years. Titles being won, Coupe de France, Coupe de la Ligue. European clashes breezed past, little Champions League final last season, but this one is a bit of a downer. How, how did that game feel as a fan losing out to City, seeing them going to the Champions League final and and Paris not? Well, you know, we did lose a Coupe de France final to, to Rennes and uh, we lost to Bayern last season, the final eight in the Champions League final. So, you know, it's not all, you know, all... Oh, woe is you, woe is you. Yeah. <laughs> it's not uh, it's uh, yeah nothing to to complain about of course uh game was uh, yeah quite disappointing uh very disappointed by the performance of uh, most of the players to be honest apart from Marquinhos and maybe uh, maybe Verratti and Di Maria uh loads of players didn't show did turn up um Man City uh welcomed hell uh, maybe uh, Mr Wiseman can uh, tell us something about uh, about that Later on, uh, could have, could it, could it have been avoided? Maybe, maybe not. And uh, I think I, I honestly didn't. Uh, it honestly disturbed me watching the game with all this hail on, on the pitch in the first half. So I, I can't even imagine what it was like for the players or or Pochettino or Guardiola. Except that Manchester City didn't really um, have uh, need to score. So yeah, d- disappointing from from basically everyone. A lot of. Uh, I'm not going to say angry, but uh, listening to pod- to PSG podcasts, quite a, a lot of people calling for Neymar to leave and Mbappe to leave uh, for a clear and uh, realistic sporting direction, which actually uh, one is a, one that uh, Manchester City is having. Uh, no fullbacks. We haven't had a decent fullbacks and uh, a decent right back in in ages. Um, Florenzi it looks like uh, he can only hold on for 20 minutes. Mm, quite at fault on that second goal. He was playing against a uh, very young uh, Philip Foden, who's, uh, who's going to be a massive play in the massive play in the years to come. And on the other side, we've got Diallo, who's uh, been injured more or less all the time. Uh, we do have a solid side left back. He hasn't played all season, Bernat. And and uh, yeah, before that, we've had uh, we've had Maxwell, so that was pretty cool. But yeah, we need to buy full backs. I mean. It would be nice to buy them and not have them on loan. And uh, I just can't see uh, with the, the direction, the sporting direction saying, we just need to uh, extend the contracts of Neymar and Mbappe. We're not going to spend 30, 40 million on a right back and a left back, well, especially a right back because Bernat is supposed to be fit for us uh, next season. So, yeah, very disappointing and not quite sure where the club is going. Where are the two mega stars are going to go? Do we need them? Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of division on this on this uh, on this uh, topic. Di Maria with a red card doesn't it uh, doesn't it tell doesn't it tell you the whole story about uh, as soon as uh, the players are feeling under pressure, uh, feeling that the elimination of a big game is is coming up. Uh, do, does they just lose uh, lose their temper? Yes, Fernandino did provoke him, but you know that's you know what that's what he was uh, <laughs> that was uh, what he was supposed to do on on Tuesday evening, and uh, basically whining whining to the referee who apparently had some harsh words with him. I mean, I'm not uh, I, I don't know if, it, if it's been confirmed by anyone all this uh, all this uh, swearing by Bjorn Cooper's to Paredes and uh, and so, someone else, but just yeah, just whining, not not be able to cope with uh, difficulty. Neymar not turning up, not playing with it with anyone. So yeah, very disappointing. And uh, we we've been there before. We need a clear uh, structural 
uh, strategy and pretty much every PSG fan knows that we're not going to get it. So, yeah, it's 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 going to be same old and I, I don't expect any change anytime soon. Yeah, let, let's touch on that, actually, the, the the kind of losing of heads, as some people have said it towards the end of the game, for Paris. We will come on to the actual football in just a moment, but towards the end of the game, as Philip, you were saying there, when the game started to kind of get away from them, the challenges started to really come in. Angel Di Maria had a little bit of a tussle with Fernandinho, um, ended up stamping on him uh, and getting sent off despite being 33 years old and Angel Di Maria has, has kind of been there and done that in European football he's got a lot under his belt so for for him to do that you know it's not really acceptable at any level but if you see someone who's 19 do it, it's a little bit different to an experienced professional like Angel Di Maria Marco Verratti kind of always plays on the edge but he picked up a yellow card of course uh, Presnel Kampembe who you know, has has captained the the team at times. He's been at Paris for years and years and years. He had a he had a pretty meaty challenge later on in the game. Got a yellow card. Danilo Pereira also got a yellow card. Twenty nine years old. Philip, what do you make of this losing of heads in the game? Do you think this is just uh it's something that can happen to any team because they were frustrated, or do you think it's a bit of a of a, of a larger issue sometimes at Paris? You know, because not necessarily in a disciplined sense, in a disciplinary sense, but sometimes Paris have kind of found themselves caught up in these situations where, you know, players get sent off or, or sometimes players kind of lose their heads. What, what do you think about this, Phil? Uh, I'm not sure about the, the stat I'm, I'm about to to, uh, to tell you. Uh, I think we've collected four red cards in this season's Champions League, which is two more than any other side in the Champions League in uh, season 2021, which just shows uh, a bit, uh, some kind of, uh, I want to say protection from the from the referee when we're playing uh, Liga games. I want to say also um, that uh, just expecting not to be not to be punished for doing something stupid um, and just not being quite, uh, shall we say, uh, sly. Just like other players, to so, to me, Fernandinho on Tuesday evening he was sly, and he were, he 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 was uh, he he went on the pitch to get someone sent off to get to get someone uh, annoyed at him, and uh, this is what uh, Thiago Motta used to do very well, and a lot of uh, ex players have said, you know, you know what, when I play against Thiago Motta, I just want to kill him. It, I mean, it really. Fit- do some serious physical damage to him, because uh, but again, it's uh, it's not it's not stupid play. It's just it's just the way it's just the way he he uh, he manipulates uh, the game, and uh, we just don't have that uh, that type of players. We thought we had Luis Paredes, so maybe he'll become a Thiago Motta one day. There's an ambition for you know everyone, but uh, there's also the fact that uh, we just uh, we just expect the referee to uh, to to. Uh, to come to to help us out whenever we we need to, and uh, this is extremely this is extremely Barcelona of us. It's, it's extremely you know that guy touched me, so you need to book him, or, and then you need to book him a second time and give him give him a red card. I mean, it it just it, it's not it's really not something uh, endearing. It's really not something that uh, the fans uh, like, and uh, it. Uh, it wasn't the case before the Qataris, obviously, because we were we were always seventh or eleventh. But uh, yeah, it's 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 basically uh, you know what this guy. It's a bit like when you're a little kid and uh, you're you're playing with your toys in the pram, and uh, and there's a, a someone bigger than you takes your toy. You're complaining to to either you know, I don't know, the teacher or your parents or whatever. And it just again the whining. It's all to, to me. It's all about whining. It's all about uh, about crying to crying out to the referee, and it's just uh, it just makes it just makes people want to hate the, the club even more than they already do. Already do. Mm. Mm. Okay, let's focus on a bit the football then that happened in this game. PSG, as much as it was always going to be a tough game going up against Manchester City, they hardly laid a glove on them, especially in the second leg. And Eric Van, I just went to get your opinion on this because as much as City did get that first goal they really just sat in after that I mean City are, are such a good team for going forward but as soon as they got that early goal I think it was 11 minutes in they just were like okay we're, we're fine we've, we've got our two goal advantage we can just kind of sit on this and they did that very well and even managed to get a goal at the other end later on in the game City were almost unbreakable weren't they Eric? 
Yeah, I think so. I think it was um, really a case of, wow, let's see, how do I say this? I mean, defensive resolve. I mean, something we haven't seen, I don't think necessarily from a lot of city sides, from a lot of, of Pep Guardiola sides. You had the likes of Diash and, and uh, Sinchenko, you know, really going hell for leather, uh, getting in blocks, playing with a, you know, sort of never say die attitude that I don't think we necessarily associate with Pep teams. Uh, and I, I think that that sort of character and that sort of resilience uh, is a different face to this to this city team. And it's it's really impressive. I mean, we're so used to them, you know, regardless of whether they're playing with a striker or Sergio Aguero is bagging 25 goals in a season. I think what's characterized um, uh, Manchester City in the in this in this era uh, has been their attacking play, and I think to have this sort of defensive commitment, uh, it has been really impressive. And yeah, I, I I think I have to tip my hat to them. It's it's. It was a really comprehensive display on, bo- on both sides of the ball, and uh, yeah, and more power to them. I, you know, I, I think well, Chelsea will have their work cut out for them. Um, you know, come come Istanbul. Yeah, Eric, it was, it was one of these games where usually when you watch a match from you know the kind of top down perspective, obviously it's something you don't really get to see as a player. You're seeing it all on the same level as you. But usually when you watch a game from the top down perspective, you can kind of see okay here's a hole there's a hole that there's where you could could possibly go but it was one of these games where I was watching it and I, even watching it from that top down perspective I had zero clue what Paris were supposed to go, to do against it it just seemed as if there was nowhere to go there was no space to exploit and do you think a big part of that is is because of the the, the loss of Mbappe obviously had a bit of a an injury meant he couldn't even get on the pitch he was on the bench but never got on the pitch and Mario Icardi took his place but Icardi didn't really do much. He hardly moved law. I hardly remember him being really involved in the play. So, Eric, do you think it would have been a different game with Mbappe or are City on a bit of a different level? Um, it would have been more of a contest. I, I think that I think that Mbappe would have offered more of more of an outlet, obviously. And I think that um, there would yeah, there just but it would have been more elasticity and dynamism to. PSG's attacking play. Obviously, we know you know what an incredible outlet he can be on the counter, and you know how. After all, how did City get beat by by Leon uh, last August? By you know by by good play on the counter, uh, by having long balls played over the top. Um, what's Marco Verratti skilled at? What's Leandro Paredes skilled at doing? These sorts of things. Um, and in that way, I kind of I kind of don't wonder in hindsight whether. Um, Maybe Moise Ken would have been a better choice than Icardi, or even even have played the minute two um, with Di Maria and Neymar wide. I, I just feel like uh, you know Icardi's not a pace merchant. He you know he's a, he's a clinical scorer, but he has to uh, you know he's obviously at his best working off of other players. And I I don't think that uh, the talent which surrounded him on Tuesday evening uh, you know got, got the best out of him. So. I mean, again, if you don't have Mbappe, you know, you're you're missing who a player who, you know, whether he, you know, yes, he's a little bit inconsistent, but I think, you know, when PSG have been at their very best, it's been he that's that's driven them, not not Neymar, not Di Maria, not Icardi, um, and I, I think that I think that without him, obviously, uh, you know, things suffered for the Parisians, and it was a it was a challenging evening and. You know, hopefully uh, this is this is a you know you can't say it's a lesson learned. I think injuries, as Phil Bertley mentioned, Bernat is it was certainly a big miss as well on this on this night. How how well he complements Neymar playing in that left back role um, and Mbappe as well. You know, is it, it was a challenging outlet for them or a challenging eating for them without uh, Mbappe being that outlet. Um, I, I don't necessarily know that he would have changed changed he changed the result, but he, I think he certainly would have changed the character of the match. Yes. Someone Paris did have on the pitch, though, Eric, was Neymar, you know, £200 million, but even he couldn't really get Paris going. What would you make of his role in this match and the leg altogether? It wasn't really his night or, or, or pair of nights, was it? It wasn't really the, the, the night where he really dragged Paris forwards into the Champions League final. Him, I mean, I know a lot of other players went missing, but he's obviously such an easy scapegoat sometimes with the type of player he is, the finance that was put into him. It, it just wasn't his night, was it? Well, this is the thing. I think 
what we see from Neymar if he doesn't have Mbappe alongside him is that he, you know, t- he takes too much on himself. Um, and I think he, he can flounder in that way. And it, it can, you know, his, if he is running down a blind alley and he doesn't have players around him to get the best out of his play, you know, things can go awry very quickly. Um, and I think we saw that on Tuesday. We've seen it before. We saw it uh, in both cup finals last year, for example. Um, we had Mbappe forced off early through injury after that horror tackle from Loic Perrin in, in the Coupe de France. Um, and, you know, we saw the next week in the Coupe de la Ligue against Lyon, and indeed for the rest of that match, um, you know, Neymar struggling to carve to carve space for himself to swing the difference and try to carry the ball and, and be and be the match winner. And, you know, again, without Mbappe is that, that valve, that outlet, if you will. Um, again, PSG's attacking rhythm stagnated. Again, this is a different, different set of players. We, they don't have Moise Ken. Um, but again, I think the case is made clearly that, uh, you know, as good as both Mbappe and Neymar are, neither one of them are really this team is going to continue to have difficulties getting it done without both of them on the pitch. And again, something it is once again of which, which it has once again been robbed. Um, you know, we've, we've had Neymar's injuries in, in the late season and recent seasons for PSG. And, you know, now we, we had this, this crucial injury to Mbappe and it's, it's become, you know, Philip can speak to this as well. You know, do you have both of these players and you can't seem to get both of them fit and together at the business end of the Champions League. Because again, I, even in PSG into the final last season, that was with a half-fit Mbappe. He had been injured. He struggled to come back. I think he made his... I think he came on against Atalanta, if I recall correctly. Um, but he, he yeah. hadn't taken yeah. part in the Coupe de la Ligue final. Um, yeah, just a really frustrating set of circumstances for PSG, given that they've had this outlay. They have these two incredible talents. But to get them together on the pitch seems to be, um, you know something that's been an incredible challenge and not through any fault of the, of, of the club. But, um, you know, this is the peril, you know, when you do have a decent team, uh, you know, front to back, I mean, Marquinhos, Kaylor Navas, you've got Mirko Verratti are all, you know, I would say world-class players. But um, when, when your attacking philosophy, especially under Pochettino, is so, so but this is the case under Tuchel as well, is so geared around those two players, when you don't have both of them, it, it, it exposes your fallibilities. And I know Neymar was absent against Barcelona, but let's be honest. I, you know, I think a lot, I think teams a lot worse than PSG could have beat Barcelona if not to, if not have recorded the same results that uh, PSG did at the new camp. Phil, do you, do you look at this match then as maybe a bit of a lesson, Eric kind of touched on it there a little bit, but you know, you've got Neymar and you do have Mbappe and there's what, £350 million around about that plunged into those two players that leave gaps in the rest of the team. You know, you were saying there about fullbacks, not had a fantastic fullback in a while, maybe because you've got so much money plunged into two players that if you can't get them on the, on the pitch, then the rest of the team flounders. Is there a bit of a lesson to be seen in this in this match? Obviously there's a lot of talk right now about the contract negotiations. Are Mbappe and Neymar going to stay at the club for, for much longer? And, and you know that, that might have its own outcomes, of course. But, Philip, there's definitely something to look at here. Well, at the beginning, at the beginning of the podcast I mentioned the fullbacks, so let's look a bit closer to uh, the attacking uh, players, which are Neymar and Mbappe. You've got two players who uh, really could have helped us uh, in a creative sense. Uh, it, it, I mean, not not just on Tuesday evening. It could have been on many other occasions in the league and uh, in other games. On the Champions League, we were quite fortunate uh, to to make it to 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 the semis. If you if, if you're asking for, for for my opinion on that, but let, let's look at Rafinha and let's look at Draxler, two players uh, that uh, want uh, light light to have the ball at their feet. They were fit for a reasonable amount of the season. I believe Rafinha got the COVID at some point, and um, they were they were ba- they were barely used. They're just barely used. What the general feeling uh, around the, the, the PSG community is that you, we spend four hundred million on Neymar and Mbappe, and the rest of the players are like, well, let's try and get that one on the cheap, and then let's try and get this one on, you know, even cheaper. Him. 
you know, we we can get him on loan because he's got. We're going to uh, we're going to pay him a lot of money for a year. He's going to be quite happy and stuff like that. Again, lack of strategy, and uh, it's just. I mean, the elimination really does not change uh, one bit uh, the uh, shall we say the uh, the willingness of the of the board to to extend the contracts of Mbappe and Neymar, and that's it. And with the, and and once this is done, we'll see. I mean, this is this is not really uh, the uh, the sporting strategy that you would uh, you would want when Manchester United had Cristiano Ronaldo and they sold him. They thought, okay, well we're gonna we're gonna sell uh, was was potentially best players in in football history, but we're gonna get a lot of money and we're gonna try and invest it in an intelligent manner. And there's absolutely no way that uh, Doha is uh, thinking that. Is thinking, okay, well, uh, you know, if we don't extend him, we're gonna we're gonna sell him for three hundred million to to Real Madrid or something something like that, and uh, we could be investing in uh, wisely. It's just not. It's just th this type of of thinking is just not happening, and this is what is so infuriating. It's, it's great to have two two of those players. Great, honestly, to to be honest, I'm not, I'm not I've never been a Neymar's biggest fan, but that's you know that's me. But it's great to have them. But if it's uh, to have uh, Florenzia at uh, one uh, one fullback position where he can barely play more than 20 minutes, Michel Bakker, for, for all his uh, his fault, he is fit for most most of the time, and then you've got players who are actually good on the ball like Rafinha and like, like Draxler, and they're just not given you know, given enough uh, playing time. The other the other point I would like to make uh, very quickly is that Pochettino he's only been there for four months, uh, he's already. Uh, uh, Al Khelaifi's toy. For, for, I was going to say another word, but I'm going to say toy. Um, in in the sense that he has to play Neymar and Mbappe, he's not allowed to sub them, basically. Because if he subs them, then you know all hell won't break loose. Jimmy had had that type of uh, status a couple of, of uh, months slash years back. He doesn't have that anymore. So basically, Pochettino he's only been there for, for four months. He's already he already knows that if you sub. Neymar and Mbappe, you're going to be in trouble with uh, with the board, and that's and that you just can't. I mean, how how can you work like this? Do you, do you honestly think that Guardiola is being told by someone? I'm not. I'm not. Even, don't even know who owns Manchester City. I mean, what so what shake or or whatever. But do you honestly think uh, someone is telling telling Guardiola upstairs you can't sub De Bruyne or you can't sub. Uh, I was going to say Sterling, but he is uh, John Stones. You got, you got Mr. Guardiola. You have to play John Stones. It's, it's you have key to, play John to the Stone success plan. He's, he's, he's going to be Ballon d'Or next season. <laughs> like this is, I mean, this is this is basically the problem. And of course, um, one last thing, of course, about the coaching uh, on Tuesday evening, Florenzi was 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 gone by halftime. Why did you keep him on? Dagba was on the pitch. Dagba did a better job than Florenzi against Bayern. Why? Why was? Why? Why didn't he? Why didn't he sub in at half time? Why did? Why did we wait for that second goal to happen? I mean, honestly, it's. Uh, I mean, lots, a lot of criticism for Pochettino, and a lot of uh, fans are saying, you know what? I don't even care. I don't care if it's only been four months. He's already making huge mistakes. Is there any other club that has, or any other manager that has that, <laughs> that sort of issue that you cannot, you know, certain parts of his squad are basically fixed and he can't make. Changes if he needs to because of um, what the what Al Halifi says. It's it's just it's just crazy. It must it must you know it it must frustrate every PSG manager that that is the way you know um, it works. And uh, I, just, I wanted to ask you, Phil. So let's say um, I'm, I'm assuming you want you want PSG to to get rid of Neymar and sell him. Is there anybody else at the club you'd want to see out the door as well? Yes, uh, first the, the guy who really needs to go is uh, Thilo Kerrer. <laughs> poor, poor guy. He just he just doesn't belong here. I mean, he mm. was he was he was uh, most probably a, a very promising uh, prospect at Schalke, but uh, I mean, it's not even his fault. He's just not mm. good enough. He's not good enough for Champions League. He's not good enough for Liga. He doesn't have the physical attributes. He's he's scared. He's completely terrified of having the ball. Uh, if there's one player that needs to be gone, it wouldn't it wouldn't even be Bakir because because uh, Bakir at least tries and 
and he has to play with Neymar, and Neymar doesn't like him, so he doesn't give him the ball. That's that's another thing. But to me, yeah, the first one who has to leave is Thilo Kerea, and uh, the others, I, I think I can I can live with. I wouldn't mind seeing the back of course they were, but again, uh, it would be nice to uh, to uh, uh, shall we say uh, what's uh, what's the word uh, to, to to make some. Room uh, to make some money so that we can buy uh, proper fullbacks, but again, mm -hmm. I just don't see that happening, especially you know, considering Kerrer's level. Yeah, it does seem as if, reflecting upon this result, it could be a bit of a seismic one for the position of PSG at the moment. Obviously, Pochettino is only fresh in the job, and that is sometimes strange. You don't usually see uh, a team so far in the Champions League whose manager only came in in January, and it's obviously the same for Chelsea as well, but that is a, that is a bit of something's a, a, a rare position. But we will clearly see over the next few months the fallout from this game. How do PSG react? Will they put more investment into the players? Will they give Mitchell Backer and Neymar some couples counselling? Uh, will they break the bank for John Stones? There's, there's a lot to be seen here. How do PSG really come back from this? Because obviously, you know... I, Ten years ago, if you said PSG will be in a Champions League semi-final, they would have bit their hand off for that. But PSG are obviously going for the final now. And, and semi-final is an underachievement in their eyes. Um, so we'll have to see how Paris react from this. Obviously, they now have to turn their eyes onto the remaining competitions they are in. The Coupe de France, also the league. Uh, and, and speaking of the league, that's going to be our, our next game to turn our eyes to. Lille versus Lens. Uh, first versus fifth. Lille obviously in the driving seat at the moment in the league. But PSG's elimination from the Champions League could affect that. Obviously, they have less games to play, a bit more focus on the domestic side of things. And that's something we're just going to come on to in just a few moments regarding this game. And Thomas Wiseman, Lille, they've had a lot of tricky games recently. Montpellier, they tripped up to Paris, they got past Lyon, they got past as well, but they were quite tricky games. And now, Lens, uh, uh, one of the few teams in Ligue 1 who still have a lot to play for, actually. Mm -hmm. the, the the tough games just keep coming for Lille. But I guess you have to beat the best to be the best, don't you? Yeah, this is, the, this is their toughest game left for the season. After this, they've got San Etienne and, and Angers, which should be um, pretty easy to, to get three points <laughs> out of. And, um, you know, Lens are, are still fighting for that... Um, it's not Europa League. What's it called now? Conference League. League. The Conference Spot. League. What a fantastic yeah, name! That. <laughs> um, and uh, you know they've had a, a phenomenal season. And and <laughs> in the re recent interviews, um, Kakuta has you know the the main man at launch really um, has come out and said you know if we can beat Lille, that'd be great because he wants PSG to win the uh, <laughs> the title. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think I think Yilmaz came out and, and basically said, "Yeah, he should be quiet about that." So it's going to be a it's going to be a really really good game to watch um, between two teams that have had you know brilliant seasons, um, you know from where from where they where they've been. Uh, it would be closer than the last game they played because I think that was a I think it was one where Lawrence got a player or two sent off and a little beaten by quite a few goals, but it should be a, a fiery game for sure. And, and Thomas, what do you think of the, what we were saying in the intro about Paris and how they could affect this title race now? Obviously, Paris are only one point behind. They're still mm -hmm. very much in this title race. But are, are Lille going to buckle now under the pressure? that They've now got PSG almost fully focused on the league. Obviously, they've still got the Coupe de France that they'll be mm -hmm. in the mix for, hoping to win, obviously. But I guess the league is, is now their kind of main priority yeah. for what they're still committed to. Do you think Lille will be able to handle the pressure of that? Obviously, they don't play each other in the last few games of the season, mm -hmm. but it's going to be tough having them looking over their shoulder, watching their every move. Yeah. I, I, I don't think it'll affect them that much that PSG have been knocked out. They, they seem very concentrated on... Um, on just winning the last three games and and um but it'll it'll definitely go I think it'll probably go down to the the final game uh between these two and it should be uh exciting. And and let's focus on someone who's been extremely crucial to Lille's success, especially in the last few weeks, but this season as a whole, and that's Burak Yilmaz, a, a player that uh, I was looking back at 
just when he came to Lille and, you know, what the perception was, because in the last few weeks he has been incredible. He's had five direct goal contributions in his last four games and, and throughout the season he's had 13 league goals and five assists. Burak Yelmaz, he really has nailed himself down as a bit of a starter and very much a talisman in this team, Eric. And and, and that's so strange to see because, you know, he, he was kind of signed as someone who was almost a bit of a support player, but he's really nailed down his place in this team in the last few years, in the last few weeks, Eric, and has been a big influence on the pitch and off it. Well, um, yeah, but I, I would take issue with him being characterized as a support player. Um, you know, I, I do think that obviously he's someone whose physicality will will you know will dovetail well in terms of the, his work rate, in terms of what the team wants to succeed. But I mean, he he was missing for nearly two months through injury, and I, I think that that, that certainly takes a lot out of a player. Um, it takes a lot out of what a player can do. Um, so I think, you know, going by that measure that, you know, we might, uh, we might, yeah, I, I would say he's, he's doing what the club expected of him. Um, you know, showing this leadership, showing this drive, showing this determinism, showing this physicality. Um, but yeah, I think any caveats we might have about his season, okay, maybe he took a little while to get going. I think his first goal was a penalty against not early on. Um, but you know, then to have that disruption in terms of fitness, he was out again, I think it was close to two months. Uh, we, we've seen from his play with Turkey and, uh, his, his play before being injured, that he certainly is a key figure on this team. Um, and I think that the relationship he's de- developed with not only his teammates, but also Christophe Galtier has been really impressive. And you can see the passion that he evinces in the way that he plays, uh, just how much this title chase and indeed playing for Leo means to him. So. Again, yeah, I think it's just a matter of him being fit, that he's fully fit, I would argue, right? We had the international break in there as well. Um, It's more a matter of him being fully fit that I think has made him, uh, you know, made made the, uh, not the novice observer, but maybe someone, a casual observer of Liga, perhaps sit up and take notice of his play. And again, he's someone who's played his entire career in Turkey, save I think a year in the Chinese Super League. You know, not exactly hotbeds of... uh, you know, media attention. I, I mean, you know, can you guys name who broadcasts the Chinese Super League in, in in the UK or in, <laughs> indeed in France? I mean, you know, I, the, it's the same channel here in um, here in the States. Bayon Sports has the, the Turkish League uh, as, as well as French football. So I, I see adverts for it, but I, I've never sat down and watched a match. I mean, <laughs> I think the last time I saw a Turkish Super team League play match. was when uh, was when Leon played Besiktas in 2017 <laughs> in, the, in the Europa League. So I, I just, you know, Turkish football is sort of off the radar, um, despite the success that those Turkish players have had at Lille. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, think, I think for me, Yilmaz is coming good. Uh, it, it's not a matter of him surprising. Mm. I, I, the comment I made was more because he was signed as a 35-year-old guy in the same time as Jonathan David was, was being brought in as kind of like the yeah, main striker. Kind of like I was, I was Remy replacement, wasn't he? Yeah. In, in, that, in that, how Remy was was sort of um, used in the previous season. I think people saw, saw Yilmaz as his, his sort of replacement. And the thing is, that this will have been a different experience for Yilmaz this season. I mean, I'm, I'm not extremely educated on the Besiktas squad of the 2019-20 season, but I imagine he was joined by other older players, whereas this season, it's kind of just been him and Josie Font as, the, as off the top of my head, the only guys really who have really been there and done that, Burak Yelmaz, 35 years old, Josie Font, 37, and when you've got an extremely young team around you, like Jordan David, Samari, Bamba, uh, Araujo, you know, there, there's there's a lot of, of, there's a lot of responsibility in that squad, and Eric, you have to say, he's really kind of, of taken that upon him, I, I, I follow him on Instagram, I don't know if you could say this is like, a good example of his, of his experience, but he always seems to be posting photos, and having the guys over, and being friendly, it's not like, some guys can go to a new country, and, and maybe they'll speak the language that way, and they can kind of hide, but Burak Yilmaz hasn't done that, he's definitely got himself involved in this Lille team. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that, you know, that, that Turkish, uh, little cohort there with, with Celik and Yezice, I think makes, makes a really big difference. And, you know, I, I think a lot of the, the reason why those players have had success is because they, um, you know, there's been a succession of Turkish players moving in. I believe Celik was first, then, then Yezice, Yezice had that injury, 
and now it's and now it's Yilmaz, and I, I think that that um, you know I think a lot of that <clears throat> that challenge in moving to a new country and moving to a new situation is ameliorated by the fact that there is such a welcoming environment created there. Um, one one thing I would say though is is I I'd like to <laughs> this is a strange analogy uh, I'd like to offer the fact that Yilmaz is. Is uh, is Jonathan David's new uh, Laurent Del Poit, the the former Huddersfield Town striker, uh, not exactly a star for Huddersfield, but um, no, it, it, hear me out here. But a big, physical, bulky presence off of which, uh, off of which David could work. Again, uh, with when David was playing for them, uh, often played a four three one two. David was used as, either as a second striker or as a playmaker. Again. Uh, you, having that big physical presence around him is going to get the best out of not only David but the players around him, uh, provided they're decent finishers. I mean, again, uh, Del Poitras is, is not exactly a world beater in England, but he is—he was someone who helps, um, you know, help Ghent uh, win, win a win a win a title and play in the Champions League. Um, so I think that that sort of physicality uh, was a very important aspect of the way that uh, Yilmaz plays. So uh, yeah, I think that there he there is more expected from him than just merely playing an ancillary role um, in arriving in in Lille. Yeah, in- incredible thing that he was a free transfer as well. You know, J- Jose Font when he joined in twenty eighteen as well was brought as a as an experienced figure, and he was also a, a free transfer. But we talk all the time about Lewis Campos, sporting director at Lille, and the fantastic job he does. Um, their opponents for this one, Lons, they're currently setting in fifth. Their position is, like Thomas was saying earlier, they're kind of going for the brand new shiny conference league. They've got Marseille on the same points as them, but slightly worse uh, goal difference, as I'm looking at it now. And also Ren are just two points behind them, but they're the only two teams that could really get into that final conference spot that Lons are occupying at the moment. Marseille and Rennes are obviously a bit more experienced teams in terms of Ligue 1 in recent years, being up at the top of the table, but Lons have, have been so fantastic uh, recently, and they deserve to be in the position they are at the moment. Philip Bargiel, that, that this Lille versus Lons derby du Nord, derby at the, at the north of France, is a fierce one in, in France. Sometimes it's hard to kind of get the real appetite for how it is when you're not in the country, but it's always quite a, a tasty match between Lille and Lons, one that the, the locals really care about. I think it's more talked about than anything else. I, I don't uh, recall any any kind of uh, real uh, nasty hatred that, like you can have, uh, obviously, between Piaget and Marseille, but also between Saint-Étienne and Lyon, where you, you almost have uh, to ban away fans attending the games uh, in, in, uh, in Saint-Étienne Lyon games. I would say that uh, the fans are very. Uh, it's, uh, we, we always say that the north of France is the start of England. Um, that, the, that the fans are more, shall we say, more reasonable in that part of uh, in that part of the country. In that uh, there's a lot of uh, good uh, good human banter, but uh, there there really is very very rarely any uh, any type of very very bad violence. They are, shall, shall we say, fisticuffs. But uh, I mean, it's not—it's not exactly on the news. You don't see a lot of uh, a lot of trouble. Uh, to be honest, Lens are Lens fans are fighting Mets fans much uh, much more often than they're fighting Lille fans. But then again, it's a, it's a derby where they don't exactly play each other very very often. So I would uh, I would say, yeah, that Lens have are well, in the last few years have been even more concerned with their own problems and dealing with Lila. Lila, you know, they were they, they had their problems too. They almost went through administration because they got relegated, but Galtier got them out of this mess. And now they, uh, they're, they're playing Champions League football, not season in, season out, because, uh, you know, Galtier has, hasn't been there for, for, for too long and maybe he's not going to stay. Uh, but uh, they, they, they're three games away from winning uh, the league. Um Lens are doing a fantastic se- uh, having a fantastic season. They're playing some uh, good stuff with quality players, with a quality manager. Just a, very much the lost way. That is a modest way, uh, hardworking and all that. So uh, I, I'm, I reckon I reckon it's going to be uh, it's going to be a nice nice tight affair tomorrow tomorrow evening. And 
Yeah, sure, shall see. But uh, don't uh, if I mean there's there's gonna be no fans at the ground, but not not. I don't usually expect uh, much trouble in those games. So mm. you know, there's no fans. Probably not. If, if any team's really looking to take this title away from Real Lille, it will be Lyons. Um, it I think it could be quite a because of that. I think there will be quite a lot of pressure on this game, especially for Lille, especially for Lons, you know, that 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 idea that they could just take the title away from them. Um, so, I don't know, it, it could be a bit of a tasty one, like like Thomas was saying earlier, the last time out was a 4-0 win for Lille, with Lons getting two men sent off, Jonathan Grady 57 minutes in, and then Clément Michelin, four minutes after coming off the bench, fantastic, I love that. Straight on, he'd hardly stretched out his calf, and then, I can't remember who he absolutely went slicing through, but, but yeah, he probably left a dent on him. Uh, as they lost 4-0. But let's go through some of the score predictions then. Philip, this Friday night match. It's always good. A Friday night match, isn't it? On the TV, the floodlights shining down, some some red cards getting shown, goals scored. Philip, how do you see this one playing out then? Lille at home to Lens. Or the other way about, rather, sorry. Lens at home to Lille. Yeah, it's at Golat, isn't it? It's at Lens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, certainly not the, uh, the, the route that it was last uh, November, I think it was, uh, which was, I mean, it was really terrible, actually, because uh, it really felt like a cup game. I'm going to go with 3-2 to Lille. Entertaining. Okay, I, I, I'd like that to, <laughs> to happen. 3-2, lots of goals. Thomas, how about you? Uh, Lance have given, well, they've been red-carded six times this season. Uh, three of the red-cards have... Uh, coming in the last three matches. So I'm going to go for a, a Lil win and Yannick Kawasak hasn't got his famous red card tally up anymore, so he'll get a red card for uh, for Lance. I'm going to go say 2-1 Lil. 3-1 Lil. <laughs> I love how you predicted that I was going to ask yeah. who's getting sent off as well. Of like you already, you already Kawasak like got that in there. has not been red carded yet. I, I'm not sure what's going on, but you should really round off the season with a, a lovely uh, two-foot challenge. I think I think John Lou Laker is going to give someone a haymaker. Uh, He's not straight, in spot, Yeah, but he'll be off the bench. Just, just <laughs> I don't know, swiping it, kids. Eric, who do you think is going to get sent off in this game, Lille versus Lons? Uh, who do I think is going to get sent off? Uh, how about Facundo Medina? <laughs> he's he's he seems good for a good for a booking every now and then. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. In, in a score prediction, I'm going to say one-one. I, I I'd like. Lille to win, but uh, no Benjamin Andre. That's that's uh, he's suspended uh, for a book, accumulation of bookings. That's that's a real concern for me. I, I think that they've really struggled at times without him this season, uh, and that could continue to be the case uh, come tomorrow. Yeah, for, for score predictions, I'm going to go a two-one win for Lille. But I think it's going to be a bit tight. Uh, that that Benjamin Andre. He could be um, a bit of an omission in this team. You know, you'd assume that Jay could be coming in for him. Jay can, and Bubakar Samari in, in the midfield. It could get a little bit tough without Benjamin Andre's composure, without his leadership in the middle of the park. Other players will have to kind of step up if that is the case. Um, and we've just got a bit of time towards the end of the podcast. We'll, we'll kind of do it as a bit of a speed round. Uh, but again, I just want to fit in as the relegation battle is starting to spark up. Three games left, obviously. Nîmes and Nantes, the two teams really embroiled in it at the moment. Lorient, Strasbourg, Bordeaux, uh, maybe Brest, if my maths is good, are the teams that could fall into that position. But it really seems as if it's going to be either Nîmes or Nantes going down automatically with that uh, relegation playoff place and 18th at the moment, uh, looking all the more appetising by the week for the teams that want to stay in this division. Dijon, of course, relegated a few weeks ago after getting thumped by Rennes, I think it was, so they are down already. They'll be playing League 2 football next season. But Thomas Wiseman, we look at Nîmes coming into this game, they're going to be travelling away to Mets. Three draws in their last four games. When are they going to start turning those into wins? Could, could that really hold them back in their bid for survival? Yeah, it's it's tough really because I don't think they've they've been much better since um, I always forget his name. Oh. Pascal Plonk. Pascal Plonk, that's it. Yeah, I always, I always think uh, Blackheart's still there. Um, I mean, I think we all I'm not sure if we all did, but uh, at Christmas, we we did think they would be one of the teams that would be really heavily struggling 
um, towards the end of the season. And even if they are, even though they are, they're not far away from that getting out the to to the to the playoff spot. Um, but yeah, it's been it's I guess it's been coming for 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 Neem and um, they had a there was a recent piece of news. I think the I can't I think they're closing down their academy or something like that. Not sure if anybody else has seen. Yeah, that. I, I remember seeing this. They can't, yeah, it was. It was only I think yesterday or or recently that they they just can't afford to um, to keep it open or something like that. And obviously they've got a um, that they're investing money in the stadium. I think they're trying to rebuild that in twenty twenty two, next year. Obviously delayed, but it's um, yeah, it's difficult to see them. I don't, it's just difficult to see them um, get into that playoff place now. None have sort of picked up a, a little bit of form. Um, it's a it's a tough one, and obviously it's it's a Mets aren't playing great football, but I don't see them getting the three points that they do need. Mm. And, and this year was in their in their last game, like you said, Thomas. They have been playing quite well. You know, they drew against Rams, but they were quite good for a lot of it and then uh, 21 year old Alexis Flips comes on great name by the way he flipped the game on his head you could say I knew you'd love that one Alexis Flips uh, 21 year old striker for Rams making his debut maybe if I'm looking through I think maybe his debut for Rams um, so yeah it was his debut from Ajaxio yeah, he comes in, gets the goal about three, seven minutes after coming off the bench, and and that could be the the crucial, you know, the, the final nail in the coffin for Neem if they can't really pull themselves together uh, in these last few games. Philip, would would you be sad to see Neem go? I'd, I'd say they brought a lot to the league since coming back up from League Two. Uh, you know, I think especially in in the in the early years under Bernard Blackard, they played some really nice football, but. This this last season, the COVID season, it's just been tough for them, hasn't it? No, I don't. I don't mind them. I mean, I don't hate them or anything. It's just uh, they've been very a breath of fresh air when they went up because they were playing four four two and playing, uh, shall we say, non not too defensive football. But this season, I think they've done a very very good job. Uh, just like uh, yeah, I was going to say, just like Lorient West, it, it's a bit different. I think they've done a very very good job of uh, playing league football with uh, players who were who were either uh, getting old or not not fit enough to play in uh, in this division there was um, an argument between the authors and the players i think it was uh, end of november beginning of december or something like that and uh, i actually tweeted uh, you know why why uh, why are you shouting at the players i mean if they're not good enough for this league they're not good enough for this league as it turns out they proved that they can beat anyone because their uh, last win was against surprise surprise lille um, but they can also lose to pretty much everyone as well so i'm i'm amazed with three games to go that as that name are still in with a shout uh, of making that playoff spot actually they're not they're not uh, they, they could finish uh, they could finish seventeenth, but they are six points behind Lorient with three games to go. So that's a bit, uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's a lot to ask, it's a lot to yeah. ask, given that the last three games are. So this one at Metz, which is going to be extremely hard. Then they have Lyon at home, not easy, and then Rennes away. Uh, if I'm honest, I don't see them winning any of those three. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I think they should uh, should take pride pride in uh, in what they've achieved in that second half of the season um, because they had a really really bad time. I think it was a one win in fifteen or something like that. Maybe two wins in fifteen. Uh, that very you know quite uh, quite entertaining win at Marseille when uh, they hadn't won in uh, six something like that. And yeah, basically they they've turned it around. They won they won three on the bounce uh, beginning of February against Dijon, Bordeaux, and Lorient. And to to me, it's it should be uh, it should be uh, applauded that the players just uh, haven't given up yet. Otherwise, they would be uh, just like Dijon; they would be already in Ligue 2, except of having, having a, a cup of toes in it already. Mm. And I, I think they'll cope. I think they'll cope with Ligue 2. I, I don't think uh, I don't think that uh, it all it all end in uh, in. Uh, Financial in the financial shambles because they did close the academy because they didn't have enough funds. So that proves that uh, you know it's uh, it's uh, shall we say a prudent management 
So I would, I mean, I would hope, I would hope for them to challenge and go go back up. But uh, you know, the, to 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 me, they are going to go down. Maybe maybe not, maybe not uh, as second bottom. But then they they'll they'll have to play a playoff against either Toulouse or Clermont, and that's going to be extremely tough for them. Um, but uh, you know, they, to to me, they did their best, especially in the second half of the season. Okay, Phil, let's get your uh, quick then score prediction for this one then. Nîmes versus Metz. Metz with not too much to play for now in the tail end of the season. But how do you see this one going? 1-1. One, 1-1. One. One, one. Thomas, how about you? 1-0 uh, Metz. 1-0 Metz. And Eric Deven, how about you? Uh, I like a Nîmes win. 1-0. Nîmes win. I think I'm going to agree with you. You know, I'm going to go for a Yeah, a I, sorry, I haven't... Win. I haven't uh, come in on this. They have they have a lot of attacking players who I feel like are yeah kind of undersold. I mean, Zinedine Ferhat has has been you know I think probably one of the more underrated players in the league. Yassin Ben Rahu, I don't know if he's fit. Um, is an exciting player on his day. Nicholas Eliasson, and you know how can we not love Renal Repar? <laughs> that is true. How can we not? I hope he just like stays there to the end of his career. I think he will, but I hope he just like ever, stays there for since, years. Ever since, I, I imagine yeah, he's, he's from Nîmes. He's an academy product. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. from the academy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's rare when you go on someone's Wikipedia page and it's just literally yeah Nîmes. They played for Nîmes and uh, <laughs> Nîmes. How about Nîmes? Oh, they also played for Nîmes. Yeah, it's just kind of that. Although I think they did he's been on loan, maybe. No? See, yes, <laughs> Bastia, twenty fourteen. Um, but apart from that, he's, he's got all the. That, he's got, yeah, he's got all the. All the fiery squads of France in him. <laughs> no, he's a, he's, a, he's a phony. He's not a one-club man. He was at Bastia for 12 months. He's a phony. It's just, it's just like Harry Kane, right? The loans make it not count. <laughs> no, absolutely not. If, if, if Messi went on loan to bloody Leganes, he would, I would be, I'd be talking about it. That's all I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> okay, let, let's wrap it up then. I'll, we'll wrap it up on, a, on Nîmes versus Mets. Uh, once again, thank you very much for listening. If you're looking for more information on all things French football and English, you can get us on the website at getfootballnewsfrance.com. That's getfootballnewsfrance.com. There was a recent uh, article written by our very own Jeremy Smith, who's not on tonight, talking all about Mets and, and, and how they've gone about Generation Foot and producing young Senegalese players with the, the, the next one. Off the block being Papi Matarsar, who's had a fantastic season, could be leaving at the end of the season, but only eighteen years at the only eighteen years old at the moment, and is clearly going to go on and have a fantastic career. So it's a great uh, article by Jeremy Smith. If you're looking to get a bit more information on how Mets have done things this year, that's the best place to go at the website. Get footballnewsfrance.com. You can also find us on Twitter at gffn. That's at gffn. I've been Lewis McParl and I've been joined by Philip Bargiel, Thomas Wiseman and Eric Devin. Yes, Paris, they may be out of Europe, but they've still got more competitions in at the moment. The Coupe de France and the League, but Lille will surely have a lot to say about that in the last few weeks of the season. Once again, thank you very much for listening and I'll see you soon. Bye for now.